word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. The key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. I am looking forward to this conversation. Uh, those that have, have followed me know that uh, I am very public about my love of the NBA and basketball growing up in Detroit during the bad boy era. And anybody who's uh, even tangentially connected uh, to the NBA uh, and those that have been in, I mean, I've been very lucky recently to spend time and interview Magic Johnson and uh, Baron Davis, wow. Charles Barkley and now we're going to continue into the ecosystem of the NBA with Chris Brickley. Uh, really excited to chat with Chris. So after cultivating a strong relationship with stars like Car Carmelo Anthony, by the way, who we thought might have been a piston way back when. I know I'm older than you, Chris. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, while he was serving as a player development coach for the New York Knicks, uh, Chris eventually decided to go out on his own. And it looks like it's paid off uh, handsomely in a lot of different ways in the ways in which he's influencing the culture of the NBA and more. Uh, he's now an influencer. I mean, if you follow him, it's really the intersection of fashion, music, and lifestyle. Go to his Instagram, almost 2 million followers, and the images will just go down a rabbit hole seeing everybody that you know and love in the NBA. Uh, he's got brand partners including Puma, Wilson, NBA 2K, Bose, Body Armor, Lids, Google Pixel, and Therabody, uh, with now nearly 60 NBA players as clients. Uh, I think he's doing something right. And he's also giving back to his community back in New Hampshire as well, which we'll talk about that. But Chris, uh, it's nice to spend some time with you today. No, I appreciate you. That Thank you. That was, those are super kind words. I'm super excited to be here. Well, hey, look, I think that uh, any young person would be completely envious of somebody in your position who gets not just to spend time with athletes, but to be a part of their growth and development and really the relationship is what I when I watch the videos on your Instagram, I'm thinking about the relationship and the trust that you have fostered with a professional athlete. But let's sort of go back before people knew who you were, they recognize you, they're coming to the gym and all these sorts of things. Like, when did you know, one, basketball was you had the itch for it. And two, that this was your niche. Because look, I've known people in the entertainment industry, right? Where they thought they started off, they're going, man, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to be an actor. I want to be in front of the camera. And things change, injury, all kinds of things happen, right? And they end up going, you know what? I'm going to be an acting coach or I'm going to be a producer. And they kind of find their lane. Uh, sometimes it's a pivotal moment. Sometimes it's just a happenstance. Talk about that from the early goings from you. Yeah. I mean, so you know, I grew up playing basketball, probably four or five years old. Uh, my dad had a little like mini hoop in the house and, you know, I'd use it a lot. Um, but then once I got to 11 years old, I met a coach, uh, Frank Alosa. He ended up being my coach from 11 to my senior year of high school. And he kind of kind of teach me work ethic. And he, he taught me even deep in the basketball, he just taught me like how to treat people and, but he, he used the game of basketball doing it. And so I think like at 11, I started loving the game. I wanted to be an NBA player. Um, I'm in high school, top hundred player um, in my mind, wanted to be an NBA player, uh, go to college. And I think a, a really pivotal moment was uh, I was at Louisville and just seeing Rick Pitino, seeing how he conducted himself, seeing how he lived uh, off the court. Um, um, seeing how he treated players, kind of how he used basketball as like 
it was like every day it was life lessons. Like I learned more life lessons from Rick Pitino than I did in all of my years of school. And so I thought that was so cool. And at that moment, I'm like, all right, well, I'm not playing much of Louisville. I'm not going to make the NBA. I think I want to try to get into coaching. So at first it was coaching. I wanted to get into coaching. So I graduated my, actually my senior year, I was an inch. There's like the, I've never heard of this. I was a player and I was also an intern for coach Patino at the same time. So I'd be in like staff meetings. I'd be at all the workouts, but then I was also a player. So it was, it was really cool to build that relationship with coach B. And then, um, you know, he always told me, he, he was like, I'm going to get on you every day. But if you stay loyal to me for these years, like I'll be loyal to you for the rest of your life. And it was true. We graduated. He got me, helped me get a position at Ole Miss as a graduate assistant. Then the next year, I was the youngest division one assistant coach in the country at Fairleigh Dickinson. Did that for two years. And then he got me as like the youngest player development coach in the NBA. I was a director of player development for the New York Knicks. And I did that. And, you know, through that, I started really getting to know players and getting to know Carmelo. And then I was like, man, I think there's a niche with this. Like, I think I can help players off the court and also on the court um, using the game of basketball. And then from there on out, you know, now I'm here. I love that background. And that it went to the coaching and the experience with Patino that seemed to really foster this. But it also goes back to the original coach talking about relationships. And it just happened that basketball was the vehicle. I, I think people, especially fans these days, are they're confused by today's professional athlete. They don't they feel like they can get really close to them because of it, social media. Right. And they're sort of everywhere. But it, it's such a changing time. And you also see sort of the older guard of the coaches. Right. And even analysts. And it's like there's this disconnect because it's not just the sport. It's not just on the court. Right. It's influencing. It's fashion. It's mm -hmm. culture. And so you have really I don't know if this is intentional or not, but. As an influencer, we talked about the sort of the intersection of fashion, culture, and sports. That's something that I think a lot of young people can absolutely resonate with. Was that a part of the plan out of the gate, or did you just happen to be sort of cooler than the guy next to you? I mean, how does that happen that you were able to combine those pieces? Because, you know, it's like I just watched Steph Curry's uh, documentary on Apple TV, right? And you see him training with his with his coach, right? And this sort of a thing. And it's like, there's a family relationship, but man, it's a part of everything he's doing. Sure. I was thinking about that in advance of our talk today, which is, how does that happen? And are you typical in this space? Or are you sort of a, a unicorn or sort of more rare out there? Yeah. So I, I guess it's all organic from... It is. From that same age, from like 11, 12, 13, I love music. Like I got the... Um, I got the Wu-Tang Forever cassette double tape. My dad got so mad when he read the lyrics like at like 12. Um, <laughs> I got the, the, the 112 album when I was like 13. I was So I've always been really into hip hop music. I feel like that goes back to my mother. My mom went to the Berklee College of Music. She was like super smart, a music writer, music composer. And I feel like that's it's like in my genes, music. I don't know. I just, I've always loved music. And then from fashion, I've always loved fashion. I've always like been super in tune with like just what's popular in clothes and, and kind of putting my own style to it. So this is way before I ever thought I was going to be a trainer or a coach or anything. I just, I love those two things. And so then those things carried over to, to now. So, you know, with the whole fashion and music thing, that's like organic, that's stuff that yeah, if I wasn't coaching or training, like I would really be into music and I'd be really into fashion. So, and yeah, definitely 
kind of makes me a unicorn in this sense of, uh, so I'm so into fashion. I'm so into expressing myself that I have a bunch of tattoos. And especially when I first started out, like, you know, trainers or coaches with tattoos, it was like, that did, that didn't happen. Like, and, you know, trainers hang, uh, having friends who are rappers or whatever the case may be. It just, it definitely isn't a common thing, but uh, yeah, it's definitely coming from an organic place. Whether I'm a trainer or a coach, I think I would still be into that same stuff. What do you think the impact is on young people, right? I mean, there's an irony here that you're a white guy. I'm a white guy. You're in an industry that there are not a lot of us uh, playing professional basketball, uh, mm -hmm. yet you are a conduit to – it's almost like you're translating for those that either can't relate or want to relate. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that comes up. That's got to be a part of sort of just your everyday um, not in a negative way at all, but just yeah. it's a part of who you are. T speak to that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, I think just inspiring the youth is, that's probably like one of the top feelings in the world. Like, I think what for me, that that it's up there tied is like working with a player, seeing that player do what we worked on in a game in a big moment, that's up there. And then getting messages and um, seeing youth get the exact tattoo I have or my name tattooed on them or whatever the case may be, just inspiring the youth. Those two feelings are like euphoric, uh, it's amazing feelings. Um, give me yeah. one of those moments. Give me one of those moments. The future. The youth is the future. So, Chris, if, if, give me one of those moments when you were watching, let's say, an NBA finals and you went, oh, man. That, that's like watching a movie going, no, that's my line, man. I, I gave them that line. So uh, this is one that comes to mind. Um, so CJ McCollum was in the bubble. Uh, I believe they were like, it was the quarterfinals, the Western Conference, or maybe the first round. It was game seven. And uh, something that we worked on the whole offseason prior to that, and it was a short season, like the bubble season. So we literally yeah. just got done working. We were working on like his ISO situations and going right and pulling up in like the elbow area because we knew how good of an ISO player he was. We knew how he could get to the elbow whenever he wanted, but he was way better going left and going right. So we worked on it every single day. We talked about it. We worked on it. It was just, it was every day. And then um, he hit a buzzer beater off, off of the ISO move going to the right from the elbow and which advanced them to, I think it was the second round of the quarterfinals. And that was just an amazing feeling seeing that. Man, that's gotta be incredible. All right. So give us a good story of an NBA player that was recommended to come to you who was uh, skeptical and uh it turns out now they're 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 very close friends and close clients because but there was a little bit of a transition i'm sure not every one of them is as smooth as possible right For sure I, I mean to be honest i feel like at this point of my career um other than the players that i that i, I work with and that i have i think every player is skeptical just because through the through my brand deals and through social media and through just every, everything. It's almost like, which I don't like this, but I've, I've gotten so big that players like look at me almost like, <clears throat> like the first few workouts, they're like nervous to play in front of me. That's essentially they're nervous. It's, it's never, it, they're like, cause they want to impress me so bad that they want, it's just like, they, it's just this weird thing. I can't really explain. I've never talked about it publicly is the first time I've talked about it, but it's just like this. I think because that my influence has gotten so big that a lot of these especially the younger players, they grew up playing NBA 2K and like training with me on the video game or buying my sneakers or following my life through social media that when they're actually like in the gym, like in pre-draft, the players walk in, they're like, oh my God, like 
I'm at the summit. Like, and it's like this big deal. They grew up watching videos in the gym. So I think like all players, they have that initial, like, and then once they realize I'm, I'm super humble, I'm never going to talk about myself. I'm like, I'm as humble as they come. Literally, I'm as easy going as they come. Um, then they realize like, oh, wow. Like, so I, I think that's like a weird thing with the influence. I, I never want the influence to be so big that it, it messes with the, with the players. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think that that happens every day working with the guys. But once we start working, everything is really smooth. Everything's smooth. So, so how do you balance that, right? Because this, there's a natural progression. I mean, once you've worked with this many, right, and especially notable players, I mean, it's a who's who of, of NBA rosters and the top players. And then you've got the fashion, you've got all these sorts of things, but yet you want to stay true to your roots. Mm -hmm. Do you have to catch yourself? Do you have to make sure that your inner circle is the same as it was maybe 15, 20 years ago? Like, how do you avoid the pitfalls that sadly so many in entertainment and even uh, professional athletes have, uh, I think, fallen to because they kind of get sucked up into it, right? You get used to it. 100%. So I guess this, I have two answers for that. Number one, yeah, the people around me have a small circle. You know, I've, I've had the, the same manager for years. Um, my actual assistant um, is someone who I trained 10 years ago um, when I was an intern with the Knicks. And I, I trained with him and now he's 21 years old and now he's my, so everyone around me has been around me for a long time. And with the players, uh, you know, it, it could be weird. Like I, I go to the Puma store where I have a sneaker release and there's 300 people there and I sell out the first day of the sneaker and it's like this big deal. But then I have to go to the gym and I might be working with the 14th player on an NBA team and I just need that. Like all of that goes in the trash. All that sneaker stuff, all that personal, any of that personal stuff goes in the trash. And now I'm servicing you. You need water. You need me to wipe the floor up. You need me to, and, I, and I'm going to do that. So it's just, you know, being mindful of not carrying over the outside stuff onto the court. You find that you become a, a trusted confidant of the players. I mean, how do you, how do you keep that professional boundary? Because the lines are so blurred nowadays that, I'm sure they want you to be a part of their circles. I mean, I, I would want that for someone who's that intimate in my training and really as a part of my success moving forward. Sure. So with that, I pick and choose. Um, yeah, you're right. A lot, a lot of the guys want me to be in their inner circles for sure. And it, it needs to be right. You know, for me, it needs to be right for them. It needs to make sense. We need to actually get along. It needs to, like, so with the Jimmy Butler is a perfect example we, you know, we've been working for like three years now, but before that, you know, I didn't even know him. And it went within that first year of me training. Now, when I go to Miami, basically for the whole winter, I, I stay in his house and, you know, I'm with his kids and like, we, we become super, super close. And just because like, we're into the same things, we, like, we respect each other. Um, we have some of the same beliefs on certain stuff. And so if it works um, in an organic way, then I, then, you know, the relationship will take it there, but I'm not forcing anything. And uh, uh, usually the players aren't either. So it's, it's, it's organic. Are you an entrepreneur? I mean, how do you think about yourself? If you had to, if you had to identify yourself in more of a classic environment outside of a basketball court or gym, how do you identify yourself? I'm a trainer. I'm, a, I'm, I'm sticking to that. You're sticking to that. See, because when I, when I, when I see you, Chris, I think of sort of this new age, like you represent the youth. Like when I go out and speak in schools and different things, I see these young people that want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't want a classic path, right? They, they might have an idea and they might be an entrepreneur by default because they've got an idea and they want, they want to create a business. Yeah. You, you've done that. It just happens to be very public facing. 
have you had to really sort of bone up on business principles to be able to make sure that in essence, you're not getting screwed, that you're not being taken advantage of because many times you'll hear these stories where the support, not stat, those that are supporting the people that we see and that we are become fans of, you know, you run the risk of getting run over because you're not the one in front of the camera. You're not the one on the court or the field. So how did, did you learn some of that stuff from Louisville and, and Patino? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, no, I think I've learned as I've gone for sure. And I think so with, with what my job is, right, my job is being there for players, helping them get better at their games, whether that takes um, helping their mind off the court, helping them on the court, helping them make a righty layup, whatever it is. So through that path, I've been around these big names and I've seen how they move. So then when when the time got there where I had a big influence, I just want to say this because it's super important. Anyone that says they want to be an influencer or says they want to be, like it doesn't work like that. Like it, it needs to be organic. It needs to be like truly from the heart. Like whether I'm doing interviews, I have a deal or if I have a sneaker deal or anything, I'm still going to be the exact same person I am today. Exact same and and so every my whole life is really organic, and um, yeah. So with kind of learning who to keep around me and uh, people, I just think with what my job is that makes me super sharp with the people around me because I see it every day. I see these players that have bad people around them, bad bad management, um, whatever the case may be, and I've witnessed that. So then it's actually kind of uh, makes the people around me's life a little miserable. Cause I'm like, so on top of them because I know what, how it should look. Cause I've seen certain players, how they move. This is right. This is wrong. So it makes me super on top of the people around me. This episode is brought to you by the happily company. Their monthly date night subscription box date box has been used by thousands of couples to keep their relationships healthy and interesting month after month. Use code headroom 50 for 50% off your first date box. I'm going to make a guess here that you couldn't have had, in essence, the the job or the role you have in this ecosystem of the NBA even 25 years ago because it didn't exist. I mean, I'm thinking about like my beloved Pistons, right? Like when I think of trainers, right, there's the the Arnie Kander, a name in the space, but we're talking about health training in that regard. I'm like Abdenauer. We weren't hearing about player development coaches, right? Sure. We were. It probably was in the NFL or we were hearing about these former quarterbacks that are opening up their quarterback camps like Carson Palmer, you know, Jordan Palmer and all these guys doing that sort of thing. But it really feels like, man, what I've been seeing in the NFL is something that is growing like crazy in the NBA. Did you was there that point when you were with the Knicks that you said either did you look at other professional sports and see what they were doing? Sort of, you know, your your I guess, contemporaries. So as I've got the. As of recent years, I've, I'm so paranoid. I'm literally paranoid. It's probably not healthy of like a trainer, like being more successful than me. So I literally study trainers of all sports, super in depth. But prior to that, I didn't do that. And that, that wasn't a thing. And I think just watching Coach Patino. So I think not many people know this. Coach Patino is a coach, but every single morning he works his players out individually. thought that was super cool. So I carried that over with the Knicks. And then I think a giant moment was, um, I was Kawhi Leonard came to me while I was working with the Knicks and he wanted to learn Carmelo Anthony's moves. This is before Kawhi was an all-star, before he won a championship. And I, I go to Melo, I'm like, so, you know, Kawhi Leonard came up to me. He wants to learn some of your moves. Can I work with him for a few weeks? He said, yeah, we work for a few weeks. 
And then that next season, he, that was his first all-star season. I believe he won a championship. Like his whole career just elevated. And I'm like, damn, and Kawhi was hitting me. You know, we had a really good relationship. We're building it. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. If I could like leave the Knicks and do this with like other players, that could be a pretty cool business. And so uh, I've never told Kawhi this, but that was, a, he was a huge influence on me leaving the Knicks. I had two more years left in my contract to, to leave a stable job with amazing health insurance to not have that is you would think that that's dumb. It's a risk. Um, but I took that risk. I believe in myself. And I, I was like, all right, what I did with Kawhi, I want to do that with other players and the youth. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been able to do that. That really puts you up. I mean, if you think about top 1% in that regard, I think a lot of people have some incredible opportunities, but man, to actually then make or actionalize that opportunity and say, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump off this cliff and do this. Were you like that as a kid? Take me back to, to New Hampshire, right? Like when you were in, what is it, Deary, New Hampshire? Deary, New Hampshire? I mean, was this, would, you know, if we were just hanging out, we were buddies in the neighborhood, was that kind of, that was who you were? Like you were a risk taker? You were No, something actually, new? like I'm the, I'm the like the opposite of a risk taker. Like I, I, um, I don't like sleeping in a tent because I don't know if, at someone's like I don't I don't like putting myself in situations that I don't feel safe with I, I for years I dealt with big anxiety leaving New York City I couldn't I couldn't leave home I had to be home I had to be at home and I, I felt most comfortable at home so I for for whatever reason I, I live a very like comfortable life I don't take any risks with my actual life so I don't know I don't know what the heck happened with this basketball stuff to be honest <laughs> And so, okay, so you're not going to go camping anytime soon. <laughs> or, or or anything that's not at home. I, I want to be home. I want to be in the gym. It's actually perfect that the gym's downstairs and I live upstairs. And you live upstairs. Okay, so talk about the tattoos then. Are the tattoos a way for you to communicate without having to open your mouth and say something like it's artwork? Like, tell me about the representation of what that means for you personally. For sure. I feel like, uh, yeah, I've just, I, it started um, I got my, I made a deal with my dad in high school. I said, when I get my first scholarship offer and you realize you don't have to pay for college, can I get a tattoo? He's like, sure. Get a scholarship offer. And I got against the odds with the basketball. Cause in my mind, uh, you know, I, I had a rough childhood. My mother passed, she, she committed suicide and like my, my best friend, um, died of cancer. And then my next best friend died in a car crash. And then my next best friend died on like, like a cliff incident. And I go, so I really, I truly believed it was against all odds, me even uh, playing college basketball, the fact that like mentally I like kept it together. So I think I, I ran with that. And so my body is, bit, the tattoos is like a story, it's my story, my journey, the way it's uh, very detailed, the way it is, like my right arm is like all the bad things that's happened. And the left arm is like positive stuff that's happened. My legs are influences, people things I'm influenced by. So it's, it's actually like a book. Um, my tattoos. That's a, that's amazing. And one, I appreciate that you, you shared, um, what sounds like just, you know, uh, sort of a litany of horrible things that you had to go through and that people and other families as well had, had to go through. Uh, I know that you were working to make a difference and obviously the basketball court is a place where you can make a difference uh, right. beyond influence. Um, because to your point, it's gotta be organic. I know last month that you, you unveiled a project in New Hampshire um, with some courts talk about not just what the project is, but really what it means. Because I do find that when people 
But the more success they get, the more opportunities they have to give back. And it really becomes a challenge of trying to figure out where to help. It's like when I was interviewing Barkley and he talked about, you know, he was told early on by Dr. J, like, man, you, he was like, Chuck, you can't say yes to everything, you know? And that was just a, such a pivotal moment for him in his rookie year to say, all right, fine. Cause he felt like he had to, this feels like my sense is this is something very personal to you because it represents you. It's authentic to you. Uh, someone could say your brand, but it's authentic to you. So talk about the project and then really what it means for you long-term. And when you think about giving back, man, it's, uh, giving back to your community. I feel like it's everything. I wouldn't, it's, it's the community where I grew up. It's uh, every day growing up in New Hampshire. I wanted to, I wish, I wished there was a nice outside place to play basketball. And there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't like any like really cool courts. So I was just thinking, I was like, okay, let's, Kids look at my story and they want to use basketball. I want them to be able to go to a cool court whenever they want, work on their game. Even deeper than that, the three friends I told you about, uh, Sam Carey and Davis Hemingway and Justin Brabant, uh, their, their names are on the court. So it's like even deeper, the families are super appreciative of like that their, their names will live in New Hampshire on that court forever. And my father's name's on it. He played a huge part. So that the court is similar to like the the concept of my tattoos. It's like I'm kind of like telling a story while also I want kids to hang out there. I want kids to meet friends, and I want you know I want kids to use basketball. Um, but yeah, no, the court means the world to me for sure. Let's let's pivot a bit, uh, and I'm going to put on my sort of my parent hat here in this regard in thinking about advice for young people, right? I think one of the things we aren't taught in school, whether you're at Louisville, like you were, I was at Michigan State. Um, one of the things is sort of those difficult conversations you have in professional settings and the way in which you coach. And I would imagine that you've had to really refine a skill set that you obviously are naturally good at, which is to convey information that is not just great information. It's like, I worry about my kids in competitive sports where, you know, it's like, if they don't win the trophy every time, it's like, well, what's wrong? And it's like, and that's not how I grew up. <laughs> now I'm older than you, man. I have more gray hair, but it was a much tougher, like if you lost, you lost because you probably weren't better, right? The best team probably won. Uh, but I do think it's valuable information for young people to learn about in different situations. How do we convey and communicate observations we make with the clients that we work with, our colleagues, and you're in like, man, that's an intense kind of a scenario where either you've had to, in essence, break up with a client or let a client go. Mm. How have you navigated that if you sort of step back and do an audit of yourself? Yeah, I mean, I've learned that transparency is everything. I've learned that just just communicate. That's number one. Like at all times, I want the player telling me how they feel, whether it's good or bad. And at all times, I want to be able to tell you how I feel about your game, your attitude, the way you're carrying yourself on the court, your body language, um, whatever the case may be. So I just like communication is like essential. And so with the relationship, that communication comes. And then from there, it's a, it's it, that makes my job easier. Sometimes it's it's tougher to crack play. It's tougher to get players to start being like vulnerable to me. Definitely is. And uh, so it's the process. And I think just figuring out what motivates the player. Every player is literally every player is motivated by something different and kind of use it as my job to figure out all right, what motivates this player. Cause if I can figure out what motivates this player, then I can get to them. And then I think they'll start being transparent with how they feel about things. And so that's kind of the way I go about things. 
Um, having tough conversations is everything. Um, little things like I learned that, you know, the, the tough conversations don't, don't do text messages, like have it like a face-to-face -face convo. Um, and I'm still, I learn every day uh, about better ways to communicate and being transparent. And um, it's, it's just, uh, it's a work in progress for sure. And I know that you work with Kevin Love, and I, I really appreciate that Kevin has talked about. He's been very open about mental health. I think it's so important as an athlete for young people to understand and have a conversation that's much more open about not being perfect and the impact that the outside environment has. Um, how does that play a role in the way in which you think about it, the way in which you actually converse with an athlete? Because I think the little known, the sort of the dirty secret is whether it's an athlete or an entertainer is they're pretty fragile egos, and I get that. Right. Because they can't, in essence, hide like they could years ago, like go away from the court or the field and have their own space. They have no privacy whatsoever. For sure. So I actually have a, I was just telling um, my friend about this and I don't want to give players names, but I guess people could figure it out a little bit. Some of the biggest superstars I've worked with, like the biggest names in the game, they've gone through moments where it's, They've sent me texts being like, I don't think I have it anymore. I can't shoot anymore. I've lost it. I've lost my step, lost my confidence. Um, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, stuff that you would, you would never think in a million years, the greatest scorer, one of the greatest scorers of all time is telling me I've completely lost my confidence in the middle of the season. And at first, when I was, like, hearing this from these players, I was like, this is crazy. Like, so-and-so is telling me that they have no confidence in their game they and they feel like they can't make a shot and at that moment i realized wow like, everyone is human like it doesn't matter whether you have 800 million dollars whether you're a hall of famer 12-time all-star it, it's everyone is the same you lose confidence in life you get it back um you have people around you that help you get it and i think it's just uh, i think that was so learning that early in my career helped me now because now i'm working with so-and-so whatever superstar i'm like okay like he's gonna go through bad days he's gonna lose his confidence and like but i'm gonna be there to pick you up how do you judge your your success like how, how do you do that now is it based on players you're working with i would imagine it changes or it sort of evolves maybe it's a moving target but we're so we're brought up in a society where it's like we, we want to be able to label this as a success. And you're in a path that's very, very new in the NBA and growing to your point about being anxious about other trainers out there. Uh, yeah. How do you measure success and when do you allow yourself to celebrate whatever amount of success you believe that you've achieved? Yeah, I, so I haven't got, I, unfortunately, I haven't gotten there yet with the celebration stuff as far as what I measure success for. So I'll, like you answered it, you said, or are you still figuring out? So at first it was like, okay, how many all-stars can I work with? And I'm like, nah, that doesn't mean anything. How much money can I make? Nah, that doesn't mean, like I've gone through so many different phases and I've realized like, that's not, that's not success. At the end of the day, if I, if I make the people closest to me, if I'm making my dad happy at night, um, if I make my best friend, my manager happy at night, if I'm making my, my, my sisters happy at night, that's success. Like just making the people around me happy. And that's, that's truly what I sleep the best at night, knowing that I'm making the people that I look up to happy. Do you plan for the future? I mean, are you someone that's, that's strategizing and thinking about what you can do now that you've had these doors opened or are you more organic? You just kind of let it come to you and make decisions. That no, way? I think I plan. Uh, that's 
that's one of my weaknesses actually is living in the moment. And that's actually something my father tells me all the time. He's like, I worry. My only, my only fear with you, he says, is that in 30, 40 years, you're going to look back and you haven't enjoyed the process. You haven't enjoyed it. He's like, I worry about that. So I, that him telling me that stays in my mind constantly. So I try and be present and express gratitude and constantly because I'm constantly living in the future. I'm like, all right, like I, I, I need, I'm, I'm always making mini goals. And like, I need to get this goal. I need to get this goal. I need to get this goal. And so I'm trying to slow down. I'm trying to um, just be more present. Yeah. You know, tell tell me about your relationship with your dad. You've mentioned him now a few times. It sounds like it's a bit of a, not just a father, son, but a, but a brother, uh, brotherly relationship mentorship. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of that happens when, you know, I, I live with my mom full time and, and she committed suicide. So I think my father felt the need to be a mother and a father to me and a friend. And um, I think if he wasn't those things, who I don't even know what, uh, my, I might be like this mental mess and, but he, he helped me keep it together. And um, yeah, I owe him everything. That's why when the two courts back home, they want them both, they want us to be Chris Brickley courts. And one of them is Chris Brickley court and one of them is Bill Brickley court after my dad. That's awesome. That is, that is, you can just tell, I, even though those that are listening and not watching this, I can just see the change in your face that it, uh, it it's right there at the surface. What's the moral of the Chris Brickley story? What do you think the moral is? The moral is um, that I'm like that. I'm like everyone else. I'm uh, I'm constantly learning, constantly messing up. Um, I'm constantly I'm disappointing people around me. I'm making people happy. I'm 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 just a human. I I, I make mistakes and I learn and I try and be better. And it's just a constant of that. And uh, so I think when people look at me, I just want them to. I want people to relate. Like damn. I'm like, no matter what your job is, like, I can relate to that. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've gotten lost. I've came back. I've learned. I've, I just want to be relatable. Well, I think you're incredibly relatable. Uh, I think that uh, what's fascinating about you, Chris, is that we've grown up when influencers started, right? When we thought about the initial sort of what in the world is an influencer, the big knock was, yeah, but what's their talent? <laughs> just because they're a recognizable face. And I won't name names. We all know these names, right? These in, in quote unquote influencers. But I love the inverse of this, which is, no, no, no. There's a talent. There's a young man who decided and understood, man, maybe there's a different path for me and, and the love of my life being basketball. And you took your launch, you took your lessons, you worked with Patino, these sorts of things. And then when the wind, when the door opened, you jumped at it. Right. Like that's that's the story of what influence should be. And I think that that's an incredible lesson for young people when they think about how do they want to make a difference? Do they have to worry about the money? No. Can they worry about maybe their talent and where they can and put that to work best? I think it's awesome. Where should people go to follow you? I mean, I know you have a massive you're up to one point nine now million followers on Instagram. But like, how can people follow your story? Because I think it's really compelling. You're so much more than just a ball uh, on a court in that regard. I'd love for people to follow you that maybe have sure. a yeah. Uh, first off, I super appreciate uh, your words. This has been one of the best uh, talks I've had in a long time. Um, but on so on Instagram, it's cbrickley603. And uh, that's so I, something I take pride in is um, people that follow me know is like at night before I go to sleep, I like to like write all my thoughts on my stories, my Instagram stories, and just uh, kind of the stuff I'm going through. I feel like people that follow me over the years, they know like, the ups and downs I've gone through. So I kind of take pride in like showing people 
I'm just like you. <laughs> no matter how successful I get. Um, but yeah, Instagram, cbrickley603 and Twitter, cbrickley603. Those are like the two places you can follow me. Well, I hope the next conversation, it's in person and uh, you can give me some background information on my beloved Pistons because we are on the path back, my man. My sure. old son, is con he's convinced that we're going to win a championship in his lifetime. And I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. Uh, mm -hmm. What a treat. Keep doing what you're doing. It's our favorite sport here in the household. You're a good guy. And that to me is the most important for all these young people who might be out there listening. We want to thank Chris Brickley. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.